This is our 27th week in the study of the book of Acts. I think last week, I think I said was uh, the 25th week. I was wrong. It was the 26th week last week. And somewhere around Easter, I got off track counting the weeks. So apparently I need to go back to math school, learn a little bit. And uh, all you people have been taking notes for the past several weeks and have been writing down what week it is. You're going to have to go back and change all your notes because I got it wrong along the way. Um, but today we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. And this is a... It's just an appropriate portion of scripture for us to cover today because, as I mentioned earlier, this being Caleb's um, special, you know, last Sunday with us, this is such a special day. Um, after him, you know, being on staff for eight and a half years and now going to Texas with his wife, Abby, um, this is an appropriate text because, as you'll see in our passage, um, this ties right into a local church sending people out. And so we're going to be in Acts 13. We, we covered... Um, Acts chapter 12 last week. And if you remember last week, what we said was Acts chapter 12 really taught us one main point, And that is that nothing can stop the purposes of God. Um, re- remember, we saw in that text how God intended to continue advancing the gospel and multiplying the church um, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And nothing was going to stop him from doing that. There was a, even a king, right? A king couldn't even stop him. King Herod Agrippa I wanted try, to try to prevent the church from growing. And so in order to do that, first he killed um, one of the leading disciples named James. And then he killed the leader of the early church. He tried to kill Peter, um, the leader of the early church. He arrested Peter, had him put in prison, intended to put him on a public trial, and then publicly execute him um, between the Jewish festivals with large crowds in town. That was his plan. But as we saw last week, God intervened and God compelled the church to pray. And God freed Peter from prison, and God struck King Herod down and King Herod down and put him to death. And God kept advancing the gospel and multiplying the church because, like we said, nothing can stop the purposes of God. And that's where we left off with Acts chapter 12. This week, we're going to be looking at chapter 13. Um, you know, last week, we covered the full chapter, chapter 12, all 25 verses. I kind of preached a little long, so thank you for coming back this week. But This week, I'm only covering three verses, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, so this will be a nice kind of shorter sermon for us. Um, So here's how we'll go through the rest of this, our service today. I'm going to preach through these three verses. Um, I will bring it down to one application point for our church at the end, and then we're going to put this uh, section of scripture into practice by prayerfully commissioning out Caleb and Abby um, as they head to Texas, and I hope that God uses this text to help us become a church that loves to do this, that we love to send out those who God has called out, that we love to send out those who God has called out. All right, so let's look at these three verses in chapter 13, starting in verse one. It says in verse one, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now, right away, I want us to see that the storyline shifts from Jerusalem and Caesarea Uh, And now it shifts back to um, the church in Antioch. And I don't want you to get confused by that because there are two different Antiochs mentioned in Scripture. Both of them are actually mentioned right here in chapter 13 in the book of Acts. And let me just just talk about these two Antiochs for just a second. The first one is Antioch, what's known as uh, Pisidian Antioch. The second one is Syrian Antioch. And so just like, you know, in our culture today, we have Two Bowling Greens, right? There's Bowling Green, Ohio, and there's Bowling Green, Kentucky. It's the same way where we have two different Antiochs that were 
relatively close to each other uh, on the map. So let's go ahead and put the map up and I'll just kind of talk to you about each of these so that as we continue to work our way through the book of Acts, you can kind of get a picture in your mind of where different things are going down. So the first one is Syrian Antioch. Syrian Antioch is the one you can see with the big star beside it uh, on the map. It's in the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's in modern day, kind of right above the Syrian border. Uh, It's the Third, it, in this time frame, in the first century, this was like the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. So you had Rome and Italy as the largest, and then you had Alexandria in Egypt, and then now you have uh, Antioch here that was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So this was a kind of a hustling city, lots going on, um, but the church here became known as the church in Syrian Antioch. Now in Scripture, there's also another Antioch. And that's called Pisidian Antioch. And as you can see on your map, it's kind of, um, you know, kind of to the top left side in the southwestern portion of Turkey there on your map. You can see it. And that Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, is going to become important as we get uh, into the rest of our study of the book of Acts. As we get into chapter 13 and 14, we're going to reference Pisidian Antioch several times. But The Antioch that we're talking about here in chapter 13 is Syrian Antioch, where the star is on your map. So just keep that in mind. And as verse 1 points out, there was a church there. So if you'll remember from our earlier chapters, the gospel started going out in and around Jerusalem. But by the time we get to chapter 12, there was a church in Syrian Antioch. The the church had spread there. The gospel had gone uh, that far out. If you remember, the gospel was preached to the Gentiles there, and the Gentiles converted and believed in Jesus Christ. They heard this message that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who was indeed the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews, the Son of God, who had come to die on a cross like a sinner, even though he wasn't a sinner and never committed any sins. He died on the cross like a sinner. Why did he die? Not to pay for his own sins, but to pay for the sins of all who would believe on him. He took their penalty upon himself and died in their place on the cross so that their sins could be forgiven by God. And not only did he die, but as we just sang, after three days, he rose from the grave, showing that he was indeed the son of God, that he had power over sin and its consequences of death, and that all who would believe in him would also get to share in a resurrection like his, having victory over sin and death. And so this gospel message was preached in Antioch. People believed Um, Barnabas and Saul were two of the early church leaders that had uh, went to Antioch and taught them for over a year, teaching them, helping them to understand uh, the teaching of scripture. And while they were there teaching, if you remember, it was prophesied that a famine was going to come upon the region. And so that that church of new believers in Antioch, um, really, they, they gave of their money and their resources. They took up an offering, and they wanted to give that offering down to the church in Jerusalem who was struggling and hurting and under persecution. And so they sent Saul and Barnabas down from Antioch to deliver that uh, love offering to the church in Jerusalem. And after they had completed their task in Jerusalem, they returned to Antioch and they brought with him a man who's new to the story named John Mark, who we're going to learn about more as we go through the next couple chapters of the book. But the events that we're reading about now are happening in the church in Syrian Antioch, all right? And as we will see in the book of Acts, this Syrian Antioch location becomes the central hub for missionary sending and missionary work uh, in the first century church. So 
Again, we're looking at verse 1, just kind of getting the setting established for us. Verse 1 says, There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we have five men mentioned here. Some of them we've met before in our studies. Some of them are new to us. First, we have Barnabas, right? We, we've met Barnabas before. We got introduced to him in chapter four, I believe, where um, he uh, sold a piece of land, gave it to the apostles for ministry. He was called the son of encouragement. And then after, um, you know, we kept studying through the next several chapters in Acts, we see him doing that encouraging work. He goes and he meets Saul of Tarsus and vouches for his true conversion. Uh, we see that he went to the church in Antioch and verified that these Gentiles had believed in the gospel and that they'd received the Holy Spirit. And then he uh, wanted to, to help them grow so much that he went and tracked down Saul of Tarsus, brought Saul there, and they stayed in Antioch for like a year, encouraging people, teaching them uh, the scriptures and helping them understand the, the word of God. And so that's Barnabas. The second man that's mentioned here is, is a man named uh, Simeon, who is called Niger. Now, the word Niger means black or dark, all right? So it's very likely that Simeon was a dark-skinned man, uh, perhaps African from the region of Nigeria. And based on the text here, we see that he was a leader and a teacher in the early church. And so there's Simeon. It mentioned that there's a third man named Lucius. It says that Lucius was of Cyrene. Cyrene is a place in the northern kind of tip of Africa, just to the west of the, the border of Egypt. And so that's Lucius. That's where he's from. We also have a man named um, Menean. It says that Menean was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. In the original language, you would see that this word for lifelong friend, it's very likely that it also means like a, a foster brother or a, a brother in the same household. And so that means that he was raised in a, a noble, aristocratic family of Herod the king, Herod the Tetrarch. So Menean is introduced here. We um, wrap up this list of five men with someone we're very familiar with, Saul. That's Saul of Tarsus. He was the former Pharisee, Jew, who used to persecute the Christians, and then by God's grace, he became one, right? We saw his conversion in chapter 9, and by, that, by, by the time we get to this point in the story, Saul of Tarsus has been a Christian for many years. He has helped Barnabas as a teacher in the church of Antioch. Now, as a little side note, um, this is where the storyline of the book of Acts starts to take a new focus. Up until chapter 13, the main character of the book of Acts has basically been Peter. But now that we get into chapter 13 and we move ahead, the, the main focus, the person who's the main character in the story is really going to be uh, Saul or as he'll be called soon here in this particular chapter, Paul, right? So Saul is one of the leaders in the Antioch church. So I want you to think about these five men. What are we, what are we, why are they listed here? What's, what's going on? Why are these men's names recounted for us? Well, I think here's one of the reasons. I think that the, the Lord is showing us the, the diversity of the leaders of the early church. And here's what I mean. Barnabas was a Cyprian Mediterranean man, right? He was from Cyprus. Simeon was a Nigerian African man. Lucius, an Egyptian Middle Eastern man. Menaeus, uh, an aristocratic Middle Eastern man. Uh, Saul, a Jew with Roman, Roman citizenship. 
all these men come from different ethnic backgrounds, different uh, locations, um, different histories, which shows us what? That the message of Jesus, the commissioning of Jesus was being fulfilled, that the gospel was going out from Jerusalem and the Jews to Judea and Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth, it was reaching people, and somehow these men from different parts of the world had been brought to Antioch, um, Syrian Antioch, as leaders in the church. Do you get the picture of the, the, the advance of the gospel and the diversity of people that were being reached? This is part of, this is an example of the gospel going to the ends of the earth like Jesus said it would. Now, verse 2 and 3 tell us this, that while they, those five men, very likely with the church, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And when the Holy Spirit spoke to them, I want us to notice two things about what he said. First thing is this. The Holy Spirit had already called them out, so now the church just needed to send them out. Right? The Holy Spirit had already called them Now the church just needed to send them. So I want to talk about each of these two points for just a second. The Holy Spirit had already called them out. The Holy Spirit had called them to do a work, verse 2 says. And we need to understand that it's referring to the past tense, the work that the Holy Spirit had called them to do. So this is... um, He called them really before this this moment where the church was praying and fasting and worshiping. It wasn't like this unplanned, spontaneous uh, calling that had just kind of heard the voice of God in the middle of this worship service or something. God had already called them to do this work. He had been preparing Saul and Barnabas to do this work. If you remember before Saul's conversion even, there was a man named Ananias that we read about who said that Saul, God told Ananias that Saul was going to be the man to take the gospel beyond the Jews to the Gentiles and even to the kings of the Gentiles. And if you recall, Barnabas was the one who had been in the church at Antioch. Um, Through his ministry, a great many people had been added to the church. So he had already been teaching and training and leading people. And the church was growing so much that he had to go track down Saul from his hometown in Tarsus, bring him to Antioch, and say, help me teach all these people, right? So in our, in our two previous chapters, chapter 11 and 12, what we also saw was that God was already preparing Saul and Barnabas to be traveling partners as they had to take that benevolence gift from Jerusalem, or from Antioch down to Jerusalem and then to return. And so the Holy Spirit had prepared Saul and Barnabas over time because the Holy Spirit had already called them out. So now the church just had to do what? The church just had to send them out. The church had to send them out. And that's what they did. That's what we see in our text. They prayed, they fasted, and then they laid hands on them and sent them out. So I don't want anybody to be totally uh, weirded out by this. When you read about the laying on of hands in Scripture, uh, there's nothing special about people's hands, okay? Um, it's, it's not like when you, the church lays hands on people, it's not like we're imparting some gift to them that they had never had before. We're, you know, we're just recognizing that God's hand has already imparted to them a gift, a calling. We, it's like we're saying, we lay our hands on you because we see God's hands are already upon you. So laying on of hands is simply a, a symbol of blessing and commissioning and sending. And so from time to time, you'll read about that in Scripture. 
Um, you'll see us practice that in the life of our church when we, uh, when we know that God has called men to serve as deacons in our church or elders in our church or when God has called people to become missionaries or go on mission trips, what will we do? We will gather them together. We lay hands on them saying, we know that God's hand is already upon you and now we symbolically recognize that and we send you out. And that's what's going on when we lay hands. The church sends out those who God has called out. And that's what the church at Antioch did for Saul and for Barnabas. Now, there's so much that I can say here, but the, the one thing I really want you to understand is how pivotal of a moment this was in the history of the church. This was the first time any sort of organized missionary sending had gone on in a local church setting. This was the first local church missions commissioning service, okay? Before this, the church had not sent anyone overseas to do mission work. Before this, no churches had been planted on missionary journeys. Before this, no letters to those churches had been written by the Apostle Paul or anybody else. But soon, Paul and Barnabas are going to travel across the Mediterranean Sea. They're literally going to go overseas for the first time. Soon there would be many churches in Asia Minor and Europe. And soon um, the Apostle Paul would write those letters to those churches that he had planted, many of which ended up as the letters in our New Testament Bible. Right? So within 300 years, these letters that were written, they would make up a large portion of our New Testament. And Christianity would become the religion of the Roman Empire, within 300 years from this moment, within 2,000 years, the gospel would get to every continent and every country within the world. Even today, right now, University Baptist Church and any church that you may be here representing right now, this, our church exists today. This is not an overstatement. It exists today because of what occurred here at the church in Antioch. The sending of the first missionaries to plant the gospel into other parts of the world. So it's hard to overstate just how pivotal this moment was at Antioch in the history of the church. The world was changed because the church sent out those God had called out. Now let me end with my time with one simple takeaway for us as a church. Here's our one takeaway. Church family. Let's be a church who loves to send out those God has called out. Let's be a church who loves to do it, that we love to send out those who God has called out, right? I, I see it happening here in, in Acts. The church was committed, man. They were worshiping, praying, fasting. They were devoted them, devoting themselves to the Lord. They don't seem to be super caught up in worldly affairs and busyness and, and other kind of uh, fleshly things. They were devoted to the Lord, praying and seeking his will. And as they were consumed with worship and ministering unto the Lord in their prayer, in their fasting, as they were devoting themselves to him, the Lord revealed to them, this is part of my plan. You are to take these people and as their church, you are to send them out. And guys, I, I want I would love to see that story continue to happen even now. I would love to see it keep happening today. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but can you, and can you envision God's hand so much on our church that we are repeatedly over time sending out those who God has called out? I can imagine it. I can imagine us sending out Cedarville University students who have studied missions, they found a local church here at UBC and we become their sending church and we lay hands on them, pray over them and commission them out as their sending church. I can imagine us 
in our future, uh, recognizing people within our church or from outside of our church who have a calling to preach and plant churches. And so we take them on and give them experience here in our church, but we, over time, we, we pray over them and send them out to start new churches or revitalize new churches elsewhere to take the gospel somewhere else. I can, envi- I can envision in my mind people who are teachers and medical workers and engineers whatever your profession is, having a sense of calling to say, you know what, the Lord is calling me out of here to go start, be part of starting a new church elsewhere. And when the Lord does that, I can envision a future where we lay hands on people, commission leaders and teams of people to send them out to start new churches and take the gospel to new places. I think I can envision that. I hope you can too. And part of why I can envision it is because, honestly, God's already doing it. He's already doing it. Some of you guys uh, may have been here last week during our 1110 service, but at the 1110 service, sitting right over here in this side were uh, a couple, Bryce and Natasha Natir. And back in 2015 or 2016, they were here attending the church, just like you are now, and they sensed God's call on them to go to the mission field, and over time, the Lord made the way, the church commissioned them out, and now they are missionaries in Togo. We already see it happening. Today we're going to pray over Caleb and Abby and we're going to send them out on their next assignment where God has called them to Houston, Texas. Next Sunday, we're going to lay our hands on a girl named Natasha Dobson who's a member of our church, just graduated from college and she's going to be going to be a missionary in the Dominican Republic. See, this is already happening and I just wanted the Lord to keep doing more and more of it. You know what I mean? I, I, I want our church to catch a vision and have an impulse in our hearts to be a ascending church. So may the Lord grow us as a worshipful church, a prayerful church, a missional church, so that we can make him known here, near, and everywhere by sending out those that God calls out. I want to pray now, and after I pray, we're going to have Caleb and Abby and the band come lead us in a couple more songs, and then we're going to lay on our, hand, our hands on them and send them out. So Lord, we stop right now, and we thank you for these three powerful and important verses in the book of Acts that represent such a pivotal time in the history of the church. Lord, I pray that uh, with thankfulness in my heart that part of the work that you have given local churches to do is to send out missionaries, people who leave and do the work that you have called them to do and they do it elsewhere. Lord, we can all say thank you from the bottom of our hearts because as people were obedient to that call over the past 2,000 years of church history, we are now recipients of the fact that you have called someone to this area to start a church here when at one time it wasn't here. And so, Lord, we thank you. And Lord, I do pray that part of the story of University Baptist would that we would be a church that sends out those whom you have called out. Lord, would you do the work in our hearts? Would you call out people to go and start new works that you are calling them to do? And would you make our, the hearts of everybody who calls UBC home, would you make our hearts glad to be goers and senders and join you as you make your name known around the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.